It's nearly 5 o'clock on Friday, April 23rd, 1982, and David has a decision to make. With the weekend fast approaching, homework for 6th grade could wait, but could he put off going over to his friend's house to play the new Pac-Man game on his neighbor's Atari 2600 before dinner? Or should he stay home and watch the new adventure of Doctor Who starting in just 10 minutes? Pac-Man or Doctor Who? Decisions, decisions, decisions. This is a Flashback Metabilis 2 podcast on Image of the Fendal. Welcome everyone to episode 58 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. And I'm Ben. And I'm David. And boy, were Jelly Babies heavily uh, <laughs> mentioned in this. The doctor is Jelly Baby happy in this one. Yeah, but it's, it's licorice all sorts instead. Yeah, which, is, which is confusing. Which is bizarre. <laughs> it's super confusing because I, I, I mean, you, you've probably tried both of those sweets mm-hmm. um and they're, they're chalk and cheese in terms of sweets there's no way you could get them confused <laughs> by accident so i don't know well in the doctor who Productions team's defense it's probably what they had on hand after tom had consumed all the jelly babies <laughs> <laughs> in in, er, in rehearsals <laughs> that really doesn't surprise me yeah exactly no, he probably he probably snarfed the whole lot <laughs> um, and of course, it, licorice, it, licorice all sorts are disgusting. So of course, he wouldn't have eaten those. So um, yeah. <laughs> so that's of course what he saved for the actual filming. And then with the smaller yeah. televisions of the seventies, and many of them probably no. still in black and white, you wouldn't have probably seen. You wouldn't have noticed. You wouldn't have noticed the difference. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, the all sort agenda. <laughs> <laughs> right. Image of the Fandal. Very suitable. Uh, very suitable story for the season very halloweeny very spooky spooky scary Ooh, skulls yep old houses crazy women <laughs> mysterious creatures candy yeah image of the fandal it's 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 it is all that actually it's actually it's a i remember and again i've deliberately um what i've been doing for this this flashback activity is to um try and remember what my immediate reaction to it was right um, which actually initially was one of disappointment, because um, uh, at that point in my kind of Doctor Who appreciating career, um, I'd been reading all of the Target novels, and I was kind of I was I imagined that this would be a lot more kind of uh, the demons kind of uh, Pertwee style, the kind of techno aspect of it. I didn't really mm-hmm. care for. I seem to remember. Right. I didn't really enjoy that. You know, the Fendar was a creature from you know a planet that was near us. Um, that didn't seem to me to be, to be kind of outer spacey enough. Didn't really like the scientists, etc., etc., etc. However, of course, with a rewatch over um, several times over the years, right. story's very much grown on me. I think it's a really important story. I think it's the last, one of the last kind of truly creepy and scary 
who's for a long time actually um, before we you know um, uh, well I guess there's, there's there, are, there are a few more coming up it's well it's, we have like stones of blood coming up which yes. the first two parts are a lot like this that's true and you know I think the sun makers is is definitely scary um, there's definitely some kind of deep deep uh, you know there's some there's kind of satisfying scariness and creepiness to thing to city of death i've always thought mm. um but as a kind of sustained atmospheric you know this is supposed to be a scary story right. i think this is probably the last the last one for a while like you mentioned it had a lot of the elements going in on paper of the demons with yes. the with the crypt and the black magic we have a white witch yeah. It has a lot in common with the demons, but I think in actual implementation of the story, it's very different. Yeah, very, very different. It's a lot more... Actually, you know what? I mean, I, I read online you're comparing it to Hammer Horror, and it's got Hammer Horror elements to mm -hmm. it. Um, well, the old mansion, uh, the... Old mansion, priory, the old house. Yeah, yeah, yeah etc. Um, I actually think it's a lot closer to... Uh, the kind of Nigel Neal, not Quatermass, but things like the stone tape. Mm, okay, yeah, I um, can see that. Uh, you know, it's a group of scientists in a house, and there's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a real kind of actual scientific explanation to this. I think the demons is a lot more kind of hammer because hammer, you know, it is, it is, you know, okay. I mean, maybe the, maybe, you know, the demons are, you know, uh, outer space creatures and, you know, uh, with technology so far ahead of ours that it's indistinguishable right. from, from magic, but they are kind of magic, magic monsters um, where, where, where this is a, this is a lot more that the, you know, the, the kind of black magic is a, is an actual form of science. Well, I think Mother Tyler really goes into it saying it doesn't really matter if it's true or not. The people around here believe, so they're yeah. going to act accordingly. Who are. <laughs> yeah. Who are they do? Mm -hmm. Yes, Mother Tyler. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. I wonder if the more hammer horror aspect of the demons is more uh, on the shoulders of Roger Delgado. Yeah, the, good the, point. The Max style character isn't you know scott fredericks isn't quite the same charisma or menace that we had with roger delgado they, i don't think he carries it off quite as well no i mean he's a lot more of a technocrat uh you know he's more of a stevens actually and uh we need we need a boss <laughs> um <laughs> referencing my my all-time favorite doctor Who story of all time uh he's i mean he's he's a good stevens mm -hmm. um but i'm but i'm looking for a boss in this right. one and I, I mean, my notes here I have, this is Call of Cthulhu meets uh, Von Daniken. Right, yeah. And they go full full on Chariots of the Gods in their explanation in part two, and it just snowballs from them. And this is this is very much a product of the late 1970s post yep. um, Von Daniken's uh, book. And it really, I think, doesn't hold up on repeat viewings if you start really questioning how all these things go together and then you add on to that ancient horror, Van Daniken, we're all alien type uh, undertones. And then you have a liberal sprinkling of Time Lord mythology with the Fendaline and the Fifth Planet. And, and that totally pointless kind of reminiscence of the Pyramid of Mars going into the future of into 1980 and seeing what the world would look like in 1980 they right. go to see the fifth planet and the doctor realizes then it's been in a time loop and it's it's totally it really drags the pacing of the drama down and the only reason they're doing it is because all this stuff happens at night so they have a day to kill and so instead of trying to 
help Thea ransom or get to the bottom who's in the coven or anything like that. It's just watch the priory. And while the doctor and Leela go off on this tangent, that really, I'm not sure, adds much to it at all. I mean, do you think all that myth, all, all the you know, Time Lord stuff, mm-hmm. do you think that was Boucher or do you think that was the um, that was Williams kind of, you know, I don't know. No, I think that was Chris Chris Boucher. Or, Boucher? You know, well, there's, okay. I think there's three contributing uh, writers to this or a script editor. So we have Chris Boucher with the obvious original storyline that Bob Holmes commissioned. And then... Uh, Anthony Reed, Tony Reed was in there uh, as the follow-on script editor as Holmes was on his way out. And Mm. I think Reed is pretty obvious to do the canine bit at the beginning and the end, which seems stylistically different than the more horror aspects. So I think maybe the Time Lord mythology might be more Bob Holmes than anything else. And that mm. might have been his contribution. It'd be really hard to say without looking through the drafts, of course. But it seems yeah, to me that yeah. that's a more Holmesian uh, thing that he's, so, yeah. in, that he's been interested in throughout his time in Doctor Who. But it, it really does seem to me to be kind of tacked on in a kind of major way. Right. It's, well, it's, it's kind of really incidental mm. to, to the actual plot. And, and it could have been Chris Boucher because he everything is just set at night and there's kudos to the production staff but this also contributed to the problems that we're going to see later with underworld and invasion of time with the budget running out the night shoots were expensive and these are true night shoots these these aren't uh, day to night type filters or anything they're actually shot at night and they look great but they're expensive and they further drain the budget for this season 15 they do look great, actually. And another another movie that I think this is reminding me of is um, is Night of the Demon, um, which is Jacques Tourneur, or whatever however you pronounce his name, um, <laughs> a movie from from the nineteen fifties, which uh, you know deals with kind of black magic and demons and things um, in um, rural big house England. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, yeah, there's another yeah, which you know, there's a very famous kind of pursuit through the woods. The Night of the Demons had a lot to do with the train, right? Going from yes. memory. And that is one yep. aspect that Doctor Who has never really leveraged. I think it would be a really interesting story. And I, I could have seen like a Capaldi-era story in modern times um, right. doing kind of a horror, a ghost train or something. Because yeah. there's all this heritage rail in the UK and something That's with steam true. engines and stuff I think would be really quite interesting but uh yeah which is actually which which, which was um, to go off on a wild complete tangent was my disappointment with mummy on the orient express actually whatever it was called it was in space um, <laughs> yes yeah, like why don't you just put it on a train mm-hmm. why does it have to be in space anyway whatever yeah yeah i agree i think it would have been a much tighter thing if it was actually a egyptian mummy or an alien or whatnot if it was yeah. on the actual orient express instead of this strange yeah. future futuristic thing it's, yeah, it's like, like the Starship Titanic setting. I was just going to say, I mean, New Who's got form when it's... When it, and the Spitfires as well. It's yeah. like just putting things that shouldn't be in space in space. <laughs> uh, anyway, wild, wild tangent. Anyway, wild tangent. Okay, back to Image of the Fendal. At, at the time, I didn't buy, and I still don't buy, that um, Fendelman, has, is his name has kind of lasted for kind of millions of years. Oh, right. Um, I mean, that seemed like it was a big MacGuffin, and it would just been a coincidence, and he would name the skull after himself or you know or you would yeah or the it could have been a, it could have been explained as the uh 
uh, Fendel region or the Fendel Valley of Kenya or Kenya as uh, Kenya. <laughs> Dennis Lill says. But <laughs> we actually do say Kenya, in fact. You do. That is the British pronunciation. Or the... Well, no, it's a, it's a kind of posh old people's way to say Kenya. Okay. Um, I I have a very I have a very good friend whose mother was brought, was um, brought up in Kenya in mm-hmm. Happy Valley. Um, in the 1950s, and she always used to call it Kenya, oh, okay. um, which is what, which is what, which is what, 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 it, what we used to call it when it was ours. It was called Kenya, um, I, and I guess the actual Kenyans now call it Kenya. Okay, um, but anyway, okay. Yes. so that was uh, of the period, then I guess. Of the period, I guess. I mean, it marks it marks it marks Fendelman out as being as like being as posh British person, which of course he isn't. He's actually supposed to be a German or something. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think even then, I, I when even at the tender age of twelve, I said like, yeah, hang on, like people's surnames don't, you know, they're not right. like millions of years old, hundreds of years old. Yes, you've got millions, no way. So now looking at it, it, it seems like it's it's more of sloppy, coincidental uh, reasoning that von Daniken had in in his book. Oh, it's kind of meta then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the way I would take it. And I mean, yeah. it, it would have been better probably if it was a coincidence or uh, I don't know. I think the Fendelman character was kind of wasted throughout. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, I like their little laboratory with all the 1970s vintage, well, co- contemporary computers at the time. Oscilloscopes. And, and all things, the yeah. Das Blinken lights and, you know. It was, it was, <laughs> das Light and Blinken. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it worked really well, I thought, for the set. But it's just sort of like, what is, Col- you know, Colby's already done the archaeology or the paleontology yeah. on this skull what in the heck is he still doing in there um we have the standard 1970s politics where all the men are doctors and thea ransom is just a technician makes the tea uh, and yeah. which hallmark of its time but it's still it definitely grates now and she isn't really given that big of a role and until she becomes the the sexy um you know uh, hammer style super villainess at the end but she doesn't even get any lines or anything she becomes a prop she becomes from, it's a transition from a character to a golden statue prop and they could have done a a statue of her and had exactly the same impact and she doesn't even get any lines saying we are now fendal or man's time will be consumed or yeah yeah she should have like a big deep kind of you know kind of omen style mm-hmm. voice thing that's mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, it, I mean that that is totally hammer. I mean, you know, with the, the you know things like a, uh, the curse of the mummy and you know the reptile, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, mm-hmm. The kind of you know meek, strange. Well, who is this female character? Suddenly becomes this kind of awesome, destroying monster by the end, mm-hmm. which is which is very kind of hammery. I'm um, just back to Fendel and um, Fendel for a minute. I, I've just had a, an amazing thought that I think is probably just mine. Um, it would have <laughs> would have been awesome if. Um, if Fendelman had been a kind of von Daniken figure, uh-huh, yeah, and, and actually been some kind of you know, and I'm trying to, uh, I'm writing a book about blah 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 ancient astronauts. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would start out being like a total fraud, like von Daniken was, but end up like, ah, no, it's all real. Um, right. that would have been really fun. They they definitely go there. They are saying that that's his belief that mankind or humanity are uh, the descendants of the space traveler from twelve million years ago. Which, yeah, more subtlety in the character, I think. Yeah. I don't know. It just I think of uh, Boucher's uh, three scripts. This is probably the weaker of weaker of them. 
It is the weekend. I, and actually, I mean, I, I think, as you say, you know, we probably have to look at drafts, etc., etc. I think it's weaker because I think people have messed around with it. Mm-hmm. I think Bob Holmes has messed around with it. I think Anthony Reid has messed around with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a really strong story in there. And the, you know, the atmospherics are really super creepy and excellent. Right. Um, but I, I think people have just sticked around with it too much and just kind of weakened it, basically. Yeah, it has, um, it has good characters. I mean, Mother Tyler... Great character yeah. and uh, Great character. <laughs> related to Rose Tyler, surely. Uh, well, I wonder. I wonder if RTD pulled the Tyler name out with uh, Jack yeah. and Martha Tyler as uh, yeah. ancestors or relatives of her. Yeah, I mean they both live near a crack in a crack in the time vortex or something, don't they? Now, is that like a West Country accent that they have, or uh, it's a kind of generic uh, rural? Um, rural rural yokel yokel accent okay is what it is so it's like you are it's it's mamaset as usual okay it's probably it's not mamaset it's probably berkshire whether i mean you know because it's the same house yeah. as um as, as as pyramids of mars so anyway yeah well i just it's, um... it's, it, what it is it's, it's it's a mick jagger accent so it's like, <laughs> oh, hello because <laughs> he used to live there okay <laughs> <laughs> At the time, and I'm, I'm going back to probably the mid-80s, not 82 when I first saw it, because I would have watched the, like, To the Manor Born later, but uh, Mrs. Oh, yeah. Mrs. Pooh is Martha Tyler, <laughs> <laughs> Daphne Heard, so I, I guess she was Polish in, in uh, To the Manor Born or some she Eastern was, yeah. European, but uh, she, she made good, uh, good living off playing these old ladies. <laughs> I, th- I think we need a, I think we need an image of the Fendal to the Manaborn crossover. Actually, <laughs> that would be excellent. Um, I could definitely see Thea Ransom <laughs> hanging out with, with hanging out with Penelope Keith mm. um, um, and Dennis Deal being all keenier with everyone. I wonder if uh, Penelope Keith and Wanda Ventham had ever uh, acted together. If there would be material that you could mine. Absolutely. Oh wow! Yeah, do a, do a mix, do, do a do a do a yeah, do a mashup. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd have and to. Can, can I can, can, can I just mention again for people who don't know, Wanda Bentham is Benedict Cumberbatch's mum. <laughs> yep, that's where you get the cheekbones, and, uh, and that's that's where you get the poshness. So yes. you can superimpose uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, face over Eustace the skull there too, and we'll have yeah. the sequel to the Image of Fendal with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, rising up as a golden god. The image of the Cumberbatch, yeah, exactly. I can definitely, definitely see that happening. Oh, classic. Um, Dennis Lill actually is also confusing to me. I'm, I'm going to go back to Dennis Lill as well because I think even at the time I knew him better as Charles Vaughan, yeah. the Survivors. Oh, um, who actually uh, started out as kind of a villain in season one of Survivors, and then they kind of like, well, maybe he shouldn't be a villain. Maybe he should be a good guy, um, and and then became one of one of the key people in Survivors. And to have him turn up in Doctor Who and like have a basically be roughly the same character, only have a German accent, right. um, was was confusing to me then, and it's kind of confusing to me now, mm-hmm. actually, to be honest. It's Dennis Lil. Why isn't he helping? The, the last remnants of humanity survive <laughs> on a plague-ravaged Earth. Anyway, so yeah, that's my little thing on on, um, on Dennis Lil. He, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's in Survivors. He really shouldn't be. Um, he really shouldn't be in Doctor Who, to be honest. What do you think of uh, Thea Ransom just being mesmerized by this glowing skull? I think I think it's kind of odd that she didn't freak out when she first saw the skull glowing back in Part One. Well, it's it's it's. it's 
This is something that happens a lot, actually. No, not just in Doctor Who, but it happens a lot in Doctor Who. And I try, I was trying to think of instance, instances where it does. But in kind of you know genre melodrama, you know science fiction, fantasy, horror melodramas of the kind that I watch incessantly, mm-hmm. is that something just in people are are living in a normal world, and then something incredibly weird and completely non-normal happens. And they treat it as though it's something that's kind of interesting right. or different rather than something that is just mind-blowingly crazy <laughs> that would send them screaming from the room, mm-hmm. which is which is what their glowing skull was, really. It's like, so it, why it's, would a, it's, it's a trope. Yeah, it's a trope. I mean, why would a skull glow? I mean, it's like mm-hmm. there is no, I mean, there's no other explanation. There right. is no explanation for a glowing skull. Um, if, if I had a skull right now and it started glowing, uh, I don't know, I'd pick it up and throw it through the window uh, and get as far away from it as possible. And I think this explains why the doctor behaves, why he, why Tom Baker acts the way he does throughout the story, is he knows he's in this genre piece. I think it's a recognition that he's landed right. in this type of horror uh, piece, and he has a certain role to play. In other stories, he'd be very questioning of the surroundings, challenging the findings. Instead, he goes along with this and adds, right. brings his own layer of this mythology of Gallifrey to it, which, yeah, okay. I, I don't know. Gallifrey and mythology seems to uh, crop up in odd places where we have the Fendel and the fifth, fifth planet. Then we have the great vampires, which we have later on in the Terrence Dick story of uh, State of Decay. And all this bits oh, of yeah, I mean, Rassilon. I mean, we got we got the Minions, you know, barreling down this season as well. Which oh, are, well, yeah. So that's kind of a theme of the season, right? Yeah, and and, and again, similarly, the and I, this is remembering how I felt at the time. I I I also at the time felt that you know the Minions' um, uh, involvement with Time Lord mythology was also kind of dumb, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think it's less tacked on because that's how you get the fact that they basically forever right um, element. But I mean, certainly here, it's just you know, it's 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 why why bother to involve the Time Lords? Right. It actually makes the story less satisfying if you try and build it into kind of some kind of overarching completely random mythology and you know time lord mythology is just kind of bought in kind of right. randomly and uh, let, let's face it has there ever is there any doctor who story where the involvement of time lord mythology has improved it <laughs> hmm i don't think there is well i would argue that the state of decay has improved with it being and i was that's exactly the one i was i was i was going to say if you said none i was going to say apart from maybe the state <laughs> of decay yeah, I think that one works well. Uh, I think it explains the whole e-space bit. It, yeah. I think it works works pretty well. But then if we look at the Omega, Rassilon, uh, I think there's a lot of dipping back to the well. Rassilon has become like the Davros of Gallifrey, where yeah. we have a go-to baddie. And Rassilon, I don't, I think would would have been better left as a dead Time Lord, who, well. Whatever. I don't want to go off into end of time. Yeah. I mean, I think I think in general, I mean, it's hard when you have a, you know, a long, uh, you know, a TV series that has lasted this long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really tempting to mine back bits of mythology. Right. Um, I think in general, it's always a bad idea. I um, think it's lazy, to it's, be honest yeah. with you. I really think it's lazy and... Maybe they're kisses to fandom, but well, this they're... fan and I'm a fan. I don't like it, so it's not ki- it's, it's it's not it's not kissing me. It may be some other kind of you know nutty mm-hmm. neck beard 
basement dwelling fan other than myself, but not <laughs> continuity <laughs> but heavy. Not. Continuity heavy stories, I think, uh, straight jacket the series yeah. more than they improve upon. Uh, and I think I think the Time Lords are a lot more interesting um, if they're just a lot more random and mysterious. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, the, my favorite Time Lord of all time is the Time Lord who pops up at the beginning of Terror of the Orphans. <laughs> you know, he's just floating in space. He's wearing a bowler hat for no. For no reason, you know, and he's being a, he's being horrible to the doctor. Right. Um, that's my favorite time lord. Okay. Um, my favorite time lord is the one at the beginning of Genesis of the Dalek, who is oh, all, he's a good one as well. Yeah, I think he's all uh, seven seal or whatever. Yeah, and he's got his, and he's got his travel collar on <laughs> rather than his his regular yes. I'm at home collar. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> those fiberglass collars, after all, become like, why are they wearing them? They're so impractical. And like, he's smart. He's got one that you, know, you can wear when you're on a foreign pl- when you're on a, on a planet. It's all floppy and you know doesn't really obscure your side view. Anyway, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what I like about the Time Lords is that you know they're out of time, right. and there is no continuity to mm-hmm. Time Lords because continuity implies implies a progression of time right. and time lords implies that there is no progression of time mm-hmm. that they're every they're everything all the time everywhere mm-hmm. and i like that and the fact that you know i don't know i mean you know th- they haven't destroyed planets before when there are unspeakable evil things hanging around so why do they make a point of destroying this one well i think it maybe because anyway. it was in the neighborhood of gallifrey it was a I guess so. I, are we are we to imply that Gallifrey is the third or fourth planet, or in the fifth planet was causing problems, so they time looped it, or I don't know. Okay. The point, I guess, it does introduce the whole idea of time looping, which will come up later in the season. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time looping is good. I quite like time looping, mm-hmm. but still, um, yeah. And okay, I'm, I'm now. I'm just going to ra- do, 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 do some random observations. Um, I didn't like the fact that. Um, the Fendal cause eyes were simply Wanda Bentham closing her eyes and someone <laughs> painting eyes on her eyelids. Cheap Halloween costume, though. <laughs> um, if you don't want to see for the entire <laughs> Halloween party, yes, that's true. If you just want to walk around with your eyes closed. Well, you would just, what uh, you do need is you need a, you need to have your a, a, you know a Halloween costume ideas for couples. You have someone dress up as a Fendaline and kind of. S- gyrate or Ooh. slither across the floor and then <laughs> gyrate or slither and then the the, wo- the woman who's dressed up as uh, wanda ventham then just has her hand on the uh, fendaline and just kind of that's true outstretched with her eyes closed just you know making yeah. uh, beckoning gestures with her hand yeah okay yeah no i i, I... <laughs> and just spend the entire yeah, I... evening with your eyes closed it uh... with your eyes closed and not speaking yeah. as well just kind of gesturing it's kind of stuff. an anti-social costume actually I mean, I, I mean, I think I think eyes closed has worked before. I mean, as far as I remember, uh, you know, Planet of Evil. That's how they did the kind of glowing eyes thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I mean, I can see what they were doing there, mm. um, but it it really it really looks as if she's got her eyes closed right. and someone has painted, uh, which which you could have made a feature of. You know, I mean, she has this kind of Grecian statue mm-hmm. appearance to her. I'd love to have, you know. You know, let's connect this to ancient Greece mm-hmm. as as well as like planets. <laughs> well, I've been in the, the time monster then. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very time monster actually. I mean, I didn't know that that at the time because right. of course I'd never seen the time monster, and I wouldn't see the time monster until you know a couple of years ago when it came out and uh, when it came out on on, um, on DVD. Um, but um, uh, you know, so she has this kind of Greek statue thing and having mm-hmm. these kind of kind of blank eyes. 
would have worked. I said they should have gone with the Axon, the Axon Gambit, mm. and um, and just you know put like goggles. big bulgy eyes, <laughs> goggles. But then I guess she would have looked like an Axon. So <laughs> well, she was but golden, then, yeah. I mean, we could have connected it to the Axons. I mean, the Fend, the, you know, the Fendaline is 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 creature is kind of like you know it's all Axos, grody yeah. and and you know uh, it's got like tentacles and <laughs> stuff. It could have been Axos. Um, and I think, uh, having said, I like. I mean, I, I do like this story, but it is super derivative of a bunch of other mm-hmm. things. And I think that's maybe why ultimately it doesn't completely work for me because it is. It just seems like the fag ends. Sorry, you know, cigarette ends. You know what I mean when I say yep. fag end. Um, you know, it's the, it's the it's the fag ends of kind of other Doctor Who-y stuff that's kind of all put in one mm-hmm. place and kind of mixed up. And like, there you go. It's it's kind of good enough. Yeah, it feels to me like a hand-me-down from the Hinchcliffe Holmes era. Yeah. And it didn't quite make the cut there. And Bob Holmes was too much on his way out to really care to put... To really bother about yeah. it, yeah. And and then we have a lot of the sprinklings on that may or may not be uh, Tony Reed or Graham Williams for, for the new series. It just... I think of all the pieces or all the stories in season 15 this is the most amalgamated between the two eras of the Hinchcliffe era and the Williams era and I don't think it works well in either yeah not amalgamated well it's not a good amalgam right. it's kind of like a it's a it's a it's a it's a mess mm-hmm. and what I would say actually um actually <laughs> as if I'm some kind of expert um what I would say is that if you're looking at stories that kind of amalgamate different eras i would fast forward to next week and i would look at the sunmakers Mm -hmm. which i think is an excellent amalgam of williams holmes hinchcliffe uh and and works extremely well Mm -hmm. on that basis but we can talk about that next week this one i think is kind of is kind of a mess Mm -hmm. in that way and i think let's see if uh this was recorded uh before uh sunmakers this was the third. Right. This was the third serial in the uh, season fifteen to be recorded. Right. right. So, it uh, it's coming right hot off uh, the horror of Fang Rock. So a little bit of that carries over, I guess. A little bit, little bit of that "it's at night" mm-hmm. thing kind of carries over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So here's a little, here's a little theory of mine that I've been working on. So you know the famous, you know. So you know the famous bit in <laughs> Image of the Fendal. Um, where the doctor mysteriously gets out of a room. Oh yeah, with the sonic screwdriver, and then all of a sudden it unlocks. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah exactly. Like, who opened the door? Like, mm-hmm. how did the doctor get out of that room? Um, I don't have an answer for who opened the door and how he had, and how he got out of the room. But it suddenly dawned on me um, that the other famous instance in in great drama where someone gets out of a room in order for the plot to really happen um, without there being any good explanation of how they got out of the room is, drum roll, The Shining, um, <laughs> where, you know, Jack Nicholson as evil Torrance, Mr. Torrance, is locked inside the chill, the chiller room in the Overlook Hotel. Um, and, you know, okay, plot's over. He's been locked in. But the door mysteriously opens and he is released and the story continues. Um, so my theory is that Stanley Kubrick was sitting down and he's watching Image of the Pendal <laughs> and was taking notes and going like, you know what, I should put that in The Shining. <laughs> and that's my theory. See, I always thought it was the sonic screwdriver that just had a delayed effect that 
Really? That the mechanism was either rusted or slow or something like that. It's a ghost. I think. I think it's actually. It's. It's. It's like in The Shining. Mm-hmm. Ghosts have a way of doing things, mm-hmm. and you know, the ghost just unlo- and the mm-hmm. hotel just unlocked the door. Um, I think it's the it's the only mm-hmm. part in Image of the Fendar where like ghosts actually do something that's kind of ghostly. Well, I think it's it just sets up that just anyway. Tr- I think it just sets up that really tragic, heartbreaking scene when Thea goes to the to that storeroom, that lumber room to ask the doctor for help because he was the only one who really was concerned about her and just going, she's just going, hello, are you there? Please, I need help. And the room is empty. And then right, like the next scene, we see her being chloroformed by Stale. And that just is really sad. And I, that's the, yeah. that's uh she's a victim from that point onwards on well earlier but from definitely from that point onward she's desperately looking for help the one person she thinks could help her that isn't there and i think with a little bit of tighter editing or tighter script writing maybe thea was the one you could have seen her opening the door from the outside and then somebody passing through and she goes away and then comes back and in the interim the doctor is already gone. So right. yeah, I think Thea Ransom probably was the one who unlocked the door. She was interrupted. The doctor leaves. She comes back right. and the doctor's not there. So I think again, you know, I mean, I, I still think, I still think that's where Stanley Kubrick got the idea from the shining <laughs> in from. But I think again, I mean, you're, you're making, you're making another point here that I think, you know, no one, well, there wasn't enough attention being paid to the script on this one. Mm-hmm. Or, or if there was, the people who were supposed to be paying attention were kind of phoning it in at this at this point, mm-hmm. um, and um, which I think it you know it 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 it, it hurts the story because because oh, over and above that you know as I said the atmospherics are super right. you know the glowing skull is amazing mm-hmm. uh, Star Groves has never looked better in the nighttime nighttime shooting yep great nighttime shooting is brilliant um, you know apart from the eyelids thing i you know i actually think the fenderline looks pretty amazing <laughs> sorry the fendal core core right call it by its name wanda ventham uh, wanda ventham um looks 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 pretty amazing and the, the fendal it's uh, you know the the fenderline is fantastic what an amazing costume that is it's completely convincing i'm no 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 i'm not being sarcastic mm, i mean it okay. really is super convincing i think as a giant space slug of doom it looks amazing mm-hmm. and i think it still it holds up really really well and slugs Giant slugs are hard to do. I mean, you know, a, 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 you know, exhibit one being Irato in, you know, right. the, the well, they, whatever that one's called. Well, they also risk the Alpha Centauri uh, <laughs> look too. They, so whenever you do the giant slug, you know, it's it's people always snigger because it, it looks like a you know giant penis very, yeah, or something. Very but the, but this doesn't, you mm-hmm. know, and they and it and they it doesn't look the other way as well. It doesn't look like a. Um, um, what are those like vaginal plant things that they had in um, vervoids? You know, the, it, yeah, it doesn't look like a vervoid either. It's a great design, mm-hmm. and I love it. And I, I, I'm, I actually, it's kind of cobra like with the hood. Oh, it's fabulous! I guess it, yeah, it is kind of hooded in that way. And I, I again, rewinding back to my twelve-year-old self, I can remember being deeply disappointed, and I think I still am disappointed that that is the lesser monster and that the real monster is a woman painted gold. <laughs> um, you know, which again, even to my more adult self, and I, you know, I love women um, uh, even more when they're painted gold. They're still <laughs> not as scary as a giant, as a giant green slug. Nope. 
definitely not. Definitely not. I think my favorite scene in that is early on is when uh, the TARDIS lands in the pasture full of Jersey cows, and the doctor steps out and goes, Hello, ladies. (laughs) Or, Good morning, ladies. Because the doctor can probably speak cow. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. And just uh, Leela, I've never seen cows before. and uh... <laughs> Oh, hang on. Look, so we, we, we've done 40 minutes of this, mm-hmm. and we still haven't actually come to the extensive reason for doing this in the first place, mm-hmm. which is Leela. How is, Lu- how is Louise Jameson in this for you? <sighs> well, she's better. I, um... I like her with her hair up. Yep, that was... Uh, Let's be superficial for a second. Yep, uh, that was an uh, accident due to the BBC stylist cutting her hair too short, so they had to do something to cover cover up the weeks that it was for filming. I hope someone got fired for that blunder. <laughs> um, new costume for Leela, um, I mean, partially I mean, of I'd her love, design. I mean, I'd love to fully interrogate that story. Like, What kind of hairstylist who is actually paid to be a hairstylist and therefore it's their job, mm-hmm. cuts your hair too short by mistake. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't even happen like when you go to great clips. <laughs> um, I don't know. So, I mean, that seems like, a, it seems, like a, it seems like a good explanation, but it seems like a weird story to me. I think there's more to it than that. Well, but anyway, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But, I mean, she, Leela definitely has her hair down at the end of the story, so that... Yeah. Maybe it grew a bit. Yeah, well, whatever. that's what that was uh, Jemison's explanation, and yeah, the yeah. new costume, uh, partially designed by her. Yeah, partially yep. designed by her, so she could uh, hit the loo a lot quicker than a, a leotard, which she has in the dark leather costume, yep. and just has a little yep. little skirt, which has a mini skirts, yep. little more. Uh, covering of her uh, bottom half there so it's yep. it's equivalent in some ways i guess to the dolly bird mini skirts of the late 60s right right and so um uh, you know a, probably a little better costume she liked the costume better and she had uh um jameson said she had no problems with it so good on her definitely definitely uh, uh, there's a lot of louise jameson eye rolls in there and i think it's uh mainly in reaction to the way the doctor doctor is treating her again it's sort of like uh there's a line in there saying uh, uh louis uh louise uh leela says i'm getting rather tired of the way you keep talking about my ancestors and doctor yeah. immediately switches the conversation saying i like your dress and leela goes thank yeah. you and rolls her eyes and there are yeah. other places in the story where she rolls her eyes she's not passive in this story like she was previously she is a woman of action with uh i think it's ted moss the old member of the coven right kind of styles henchman yep yeah she disarms him she is brave in areas um she's kind of flirty in areas where she gives colby a peck on the cheek for no reason at all uh it's a mix of it's a mixed role i guess i'm it's not the feisty Leela of earlier on, but I think it's more in line of the Leela and Talons and Robots. Yeah, I I don't think she's really in it enough, to be honest. I think there's too many characters. Um, it's a very big scientific staff. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people, and I think the more characters you have... Uh, yeah, I mean, thank God, like, like K-9 isn't in it. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know he's in it, but you know, right. he's not actually in it. Um, Where would you because, even put him in this kind of story? That would just... Ugh. I don't know what he'd do. Right. I mean, he'd just be like... Zzz. 
whizzing around the house, like, you know, getting stuck well, in the you, door. Well, you know what it'd be. He'd be jams. running out of power. He'd stop, like, one Fendaline and then be out of power. And then, yeah, then the yeah. doctor or Lila would be stuck carrying him around while he was recharging. It just... Uh... Or maybe the skull could, like, you know, meld with 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 K9 and they'd have like a super golden robot like Vendeline core of some kind. Well that would have been the way they would have written them out quickly. <laughs> yeah, that would have been that would have been a plus in my in my book. Um, oh, poor K9. Yeah, so I I I I don't really felt I don't really I mean she you know she 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 gives a good script, but I I don't really feel she has enough to do in Image of the Fendel, mm-hmm. I'm afraid. I think in the places where she uh, where where uh, she has places in the script to perform, she does well. I like how she handles herself and disarms Moss. I like how she's very respectful to uh, Mother Tyler, and it shows that character of Leela who reveres the elders of her tribe. Review, you know, you should. Right. And when she's talking in horror rock, you should go instead of talking to seals. You should be good talking to the old ones or the elders, and that's how you right. learn. So. You see that respect for longevity or agedness in Leela's character, which mm-hmm, I think Chris mm-hmm. Boucher really understands the Leela character. I also see a little bit of a play or a tension between uh, Tom Baker's doctor and Leela in that when they're leaving the TARDIS, Leela says, come along then. And the doctor says, no, you're not supposed to say that. The one who leads says that. And she goes, oh, she's given good stuff. But as you say, it's not enough. There's not enough in throughout the story to really make a difference. And she's, yeah. Uh, this is a story where I, I think of her as Louise Jameson playing Leela as a very sweet, kind, enduring person, and we'll see that coming up in Underworld, right? Too, right? And it's a it's a trait of Leela um, in the Williams era where she's. Very, very assured of herself, but also has a sweetness and a kindness that I like mm. in Louise Jameson's portrayal of her. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. No, that's true. That's true. You know, apart, you know, apart from obviously, you know, the doctor finding out things. And so I'm just going back to, I'm just going to reinforce my earlier point. You know, apart from the doctor finding out things, there's actually not a huge amount for the Doctor and Leela to do in general in Image of the Fendal, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I mean, the story could probably run pretty well. Obviously, someone's got to stop stop it at the end. But the story could run pretty well without them. Um, you could see Mother Tyler and Jack, her grandson, being able to handle that just by accident with rock salt. They would put two and two together. Yeah. And, and bam! You've, I mean, you've got yourself either you know a hammer horror or like a mid to late era Nigel Neal story, right. um, and you know job done basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, you know, I think more more attention has been paid to the script editing, and you know, and again, one almost and I'm warming to my theme. One almost think you know the addition of things like the Time Lord mythology is an attempt to kind of bind the Doctor to have some kind of agency within within the story. That if, mm-hmm. if there's something about his people, it's something it's something like his fault, or oh, not his fault, but you know he 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 needs to solve it because you know it's something to do with his lot. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. What do you think of the cliffhangers in here? I feel the first one looks like Lilo is getting shot, and the Doctor is getting menaced by whatever killed the hiker uh they're okay i mean they're actually not that memorable really um uh well the uh, number one the number two one i think fits well within thea ransom uh being mesmerized by the skull the doctor against his will reaching out and grasping the skull and in anguish 
And then the resolution for that where Leela kicks the chair out from underneath him and the, the, have that nice little scene where, doctor, you're very heavy. He's laying on top of her and then <laughs> says, hey, wait a minute. Did I save your life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we have another, you know, the, the, the cliffhanger for three is, again, they can't move their legs. And it's the, the Fendeline is, okay, a, a kind of a spooky slug, but it, there's no real explanation to what, what's this paralysis that happens. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, you know, it's a, it's a giant spooky slug. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, it would be like slugging them to death by like, you know, sliming them or like wrapping itself and wrapping themselves in its green slimy folds um, in some way. Of course, you can't do that because it's not, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. too complex a costume. Um, so, you know, and I guess not being able to run is like a dream thing. So that kind of fits with the magic aspect. Right. But as I said, again, you know, uh, compared to, to, to Boucher's um, cliffhangers in, in Robots of Death, for instance, which like everyone a winner on that one. Right. Like that's, those, those are like a series of like some of the greatest cliffhangers that he's done the, you know, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the show's well, history. Well, even Face of Evil, like the reveal of Tom Baker's face in the side oh, of the yeah. mountain. You know, that, that's, yeah. that's, to use a cliche, that's game changing. That's story changing right there. Yeah, he's, he's, we know he can, he can deliver good cliffhangers. I don't think these are particularly good ones. No. I think of the two, probably part two is the better one. But even, yeah. even then, yeah. and we never really figure out, and is it some kind of astral projection of Thea in the skull mashup that we that killed the, uh, the hiker? Or I mean, I we never really get an explanation of why uh, Mitchell, the guard, died. Or just is it out of fear? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it fits within, I guess, the the horror trope. But I would expect more of an explanation or something in a Doctor Who story of what happened, yeah. rather than left yep. for mystery. Yeah, yeah, yep. I agree. I agree. So obviously, this episode of the podcast is going to be coming out very close to Halloween. Halloween, yes. the greatest occult festival of the year, bar mm-hmm. bar bar the other occult festival of the year so i tried trying to do a demon's quote there um do you think this is a good this is a good one to watch a halloween well it's set in what uh samane yeah. well no uh lamas eve it? which is oh lamas eve which I'm is what pardon, yes. first harvest festival so that would put it sometime in august or early september or something like early that. september i think yeah yeah, yeah. there hasn't been really a halloween tie-in that must be because well i don't know is halloween really a big holiday in the uk Oh, in the seventies, it wasn't a holiday. It wasn't a big holiday at all. Right. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that if our American listener um, wanted to celebrate Halloween by watching a Doctor Who series, which one would we recommend? Hmm. Would we recommend this one? I Not really. I would go with uh, the Satan Pit. That's a good one. I think that that one has some pretty good uh, chills and horror, but it doesn't it doesn't really t- tie into the. English folkside superstition, but if Halloween wasn't really a thing in the seventies, we're not gonna. It was. It was always around May Day or Beltane or something. It was. It's always more of a spring festival. It's springtime, yeah. We we traditionally British people do their horror in the springtime, right? You know, so we get the Wicker Man and we get the demons, um, etc. Right, and this is and this one is summer, midsummer, well, late summer. And this is and this is and this is late summer, yeah. Mm 
Um, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, obviously Halloween's a huge thing in Britain now because everything... Americanized. We all, we all, have, to, we all have to do things that Americans do because it's the best country. <laughs> uh, but certainly when I was growing up, Halloween was like, eh, what, what? No, no, no one did Halloween. Right. Maybe because it's to do with, I don't know, Catholicism or something. We have Guy Fawkes Night coming, in, you know, five well, days later. Fawkes, right. Yeah, because you just have, I mean, Guy Fawkes, which is an awesome holiday, so you get to let off fireworks and there's a giant bonfire and you can stay up late. Mm-hmm. That's why it's a great holiday. You eat sausages. <laughs> but Halloween was always like a poor a poor cousin, really, mm-hmm. in many ways. Um, but I was going to recommend, actually, the first... The, 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 I'm now going to disagree with myself. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd watch The Stones of Blood if you were going to watch a Halloween, a Halloween-y episode. I think that's well creepy mm. in the first couple yeah, of episodes. Yeah, first couple episodes, definitely. And actually, it's also, when it goes into space... Is also really creepy and scary. Mm-hmm. Um, the Megara, I still think, still, 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 still frighten me as a kind of you know implacable, right. implacable space robots. Anyway, so that's um, so I guess yeah, both of us awesome. agree that this isn't the best episode to watch in the spooky Halloween genre. No, I don't think it really is, to be honest. Which is which is a shame. Yeah. Well, despite all the horror and Hammer horror era Hinchcliffe Holmes you know, reputation that it has. Is there really a truly spooky story in the Hinchcliffe Holmes era? It's more Hammer for kids than anything. Yeah, I mean, I th- you know, horror of Fang Rock is spooky yeah, until it gets. Yeah, that's Williams. Yeah, that's Williams, though, isn't it? Of yeah. course, yes. Um, I. It's a really good question, actually. Hmm. Nothing. It is a lot more hammery. It's a monster. It's what well, it's Doctor Who. It's always more monstery than it is than it is mm-hmm. ghosty. Like pyramids, it's just not spooky. <laughs> no. It's hammer. Know, it's not spooky hammer, though. Yeah, and again, I, I, I you know, I was thinking, thinking, what rewinding in my head through some of my favorite Hinchcliffe ones. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, Seeds of Doom is is utterly horrifying, right. but it's not spooky. Right. It's it's not the thrills and chills. Yeah, and I and I actually would argue that in some way the kind of British tv movie tradition is a lot more geared towards the kind of monstery and horrifying right. than it is towards the spooky hmm. okay yeah, am i right about that i'm not entirely sure and then maybe may because we don't really have halloween which is you know it's still like a it's a kid's thing so it's spooky mm-hmm. i like boo i'm a ghost yeah. it's sort of kind of mysterious rather than like it's horrifying. I'm being turned into a giant man-eating vegetable. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, I think that I don't know. probably the Doctor Who that had probably the biggest starts or spooks or scare starts would be Blink. Yeah. But Blink loses its effectiveness, I think, with uh, repeated viewing. So if you watch Blink repeatedly, I think it becomes more predictable and thus less uh, scary as you That's watch true. it. Until it becomes utterly horrifying when you when you've been made to watch it five hundred times in a row. <laughs> well, then we are in a kind of a clockwork orange scenario. Then <laughs> exactly, yes, it is the Ludovico test made real, um, <laughs> and then you go insane, and that's and that's what makes it horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I, I, again, my mind very often isn't isn't fully attuned to new who, right. but I mean, you know, I mean, I guess there's you know there's that Victorian Dickensian ghosty one. Oh, the undying dead, dead. yeah the mark yeah. one yeah the mark from one, the yeah. eccleston era from the eccleston era yeah yeah yeah, hmm. yeah. Hmm. the ponderers well maybe that's a uh, something that chibnall will mine more for the but it's it's hard because you you want to give kids a fright but you don't want to terrify them <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think this is this is where Doctor Who actually has been so amazing over the years is that it is always erred on the side of of, of being too scary right. um, than being not scary enough. Um, it is always it has always been more scary than it should be. So, going back to your twelve years self, were you scared by this at all? Was it freaky? No, I was disappointed because I wanted to be scared all the way through mm-hmm. it, and it wasn't really scaring mm-hmm. me. And and I think I think it had a, it had a creepy atmosphere, but I don't think the creepiness ever really delivered the kind of horrifying scares that I was I that I craved, and the Doctor very often was able to deliver to me. Yeah, so I was so in love with the program as a 12-year-old that yeah. I blew off my friend and watched Doctor Who instead. So. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> so I, I mean, there's, there's no other explanation, yeah. You know, I and I was disappointed to see K-9 and uh, disassembled at the beginning of the story. So. Oh, because you were like, yes, it's going to be K-9 all the time from now on, and then all of a sudden he's not in it. Well, right, you were falling right on the invisible enemy, and no, it was... Uh, it was this horror film that, to this day, I really can't get into. And I know this story is loved by certain segments of fandom and right. to tears, as one, or is uh, held up as one of the greatest stories of uh, season 15. But uh, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a problematic uh, gestalt of <laughs> Doctor Who. It is. It's, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's an unsatisfying gestalt. It's as if they made a gestalt of things that don't really want to gestalt <laughs> themselves that much. And they're sort of just like in a room together, like, ah, oh, should we meld into one creature or should we just not? I don't it's know. It's the hand me down gestalt and it never quite gestalts. It's, it's like the spare bits that fall off a gestalt <laughs> when it gestalts. And it's the bits that are kind of lying around the gestalt that don't really fit. Leftover and they gestalt. try to turn themselves into another gestalt. And it's like, ah, it doesn't really fit that well. Yeah, it's like when you have leftovers for the week and then you sit down for that uh, Friday night meal where you have a little bit of Monday, a little bit of Tuesday, a little bit of Wednesday, yeah. a little bit of Thursday, and it's not a satisfying meal at all. Exactly. All bound together with some chips and salsa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yes. That is it. Um, I, I just had a quick thought, which we probably don't have time for. Are we, we going to discuss the reveal of the Chibnall TARDIS team at all? Or? Oh, we can. I'm not sure I have yeah, anything I, to say on them. I'm not sure I have a huge amount to say other than um, I, I, for one, welcome our new Bernard Cribbins, um, <laughs> which I guess is the idea of having that game show host guy on it. Right. But yeah, I don't know. We'll, I guess I guess we will find mm-hmm. out in, in about a year from now, which seems way too long to wait for new Doctor Who. God's sake. They haven't done anything yet, so it's really hard to say anything. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not familiar with the work of any of them. Any of them. I did rewatch Attack the Block, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think Jodie Whittaker will be a good doctor, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll it's, see how it goes. Yeah. It, like with every doctor, it really depends on the material he or she is given to work with. It absolutely does. And I just want to say again, it's a long time to wait for new Doctor Who. Um, I know we have 50 years of excellent old Doctor Who to, to watch, but, you know, I don't know, get your act together. Make it make it more quicklier, <laughs> that's what I say. Anyway. Right. Well, there you go, Image of the Fendal. So next week, the Sunmakers. Uh, Sunmakers. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like the Sunmakers. I like the Sunmakers very much. Uh, we have uh, exiting script editor Bob Holmes returning with a script uh, all about taxation. <laughs> all about his irritation at having to do his tax returns. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Makes for brilliant television. 
<laughs> replaced for excellent television. Well, I guess you know. I mean, poor guy. You know, he'd been he'd been he'd had a permanent job for a while, and now he's back on in the freelance mm-hmm. world. Um, of course, his tax returns were irritating. Right. Anyway, that's that's <laughs> that, that's a convers- that's a conversation for next week. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think we're drawing to a close, yep. and uh, with episode fifty eight of the Metabolus Two podcast. Um, if you have been, thanks for listening. Yeah. Um, he is David. <laughs> I guess I've been talking to Ben. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. 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 Next time on the Metabolus 2 Podcast. Magnificent! Praise the company forever and ever. Ben and David will flash back to the Sunmakers. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!